The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the faults of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Before I start, I just want to say something about the Mass, because I'm going to be looking today at what some things that St. John of Kronstadt says about the priest in the Mass. And, and the Mass, if you don't know, is the, the word the Mass is, is a Western Rite term. The Eastern Rite people call it the Divine Liturgy, although they sometimes slip and use the Western Rite terminology. Uh, I always love it when you hear somebody from the Eastern Rite say that the Western Rite is not valid, and then they use our language like Compline, which is a Latin word. Uh, I think what Matins is also a Latin word, Western Rite. Uh, so there are a number of different terms that get used. So in any case, some things about the Mass. We say that it is an oblation, that is an offering of some sort. We can argue about what the different offerings are involved. We say that it is, is what it's called the Eucharist, the Eucharistia, the Thanksgiving. We talk about it as a sacrifice in several different ways, but still a sacrifice. We talk about it being a remembrance. Uh, and, and let me just say that Remembrance is an English word which tries to convey the notion of, an, of in Greek, what's called anamnesis. Uh, and anamnesis does not mean to remember like we understand the word. A better way to describe it might be if we took the English word and broke it down and said re-slash-member, put back in place to, to reform or restructure, to redo. Anamnesis means to bring into the present something which happened in another Point, another focal point in time. So to make it timeless, really, to bring it into that notion that time is both chronological and eternal. So anonymous is that, remembrance is that. We speak of it as Passover, that is the Christian Passover. We speak of it as atonement, where our sins are dealt with. We speak of it as an act of faith. We speak of it as the body and blood of Christ. It is the body and blood of Christ, not it's a remembrance or it's the, you know, it is. We speak of it as communion, where all the people receive Christ. We speak of it as eternity. We speak of it as incarnation. God is manifesting himself in, in the elements. He's becoming present in the elements. We speak of it as the manifestation of God. And we can talk about it, as I think I alluded to last time, 2,000 years of prayers and devotions. Well, what we tend to do is look at it from the perspective of each one of those. And where some of the great arguments about what goes on at the altar uh, have stemmed out of the argument of people, what, is it one or the other? We need to understand that it is all of those simultaneously, all at one time. When we come together, we come together to do that. Can you believe it? Oblation, Eucharist, sacrifice, remembrance, a Passover, atonement, act of faith, body and blood, communion, eternity, incarnation, manifestation, 2,000 years of prayers and devotion. And all the people who have ever gone before us and ever will are participating in it with us. That's what we're doing. Whoa. That's where you want to say, I've fallen short. Oh, Lord, have mercy and save me. One of my favorite stories of, of monastics is the one where the the, the, I think it was St. Sophroni, 
who someone came to him and told him how well he was doing in the spiritual life for some about some issue. And his comment was he immediately turned to God and he said, Lord, save me. My assassins have come. <laughs> I like that line, see, because the temptation to pride is so strong at that moment. Uh, so <clears throat> anyway, for whatever reason, I told you that's one of my favorite stories. It made sense at the moment. You know, you can take it with you and do what you want with it. That's the nice thing about this stuff. So much of it makes sense sometimes in the moment and sometimes later. Just take it, roll with it. You'll see. It'll all come together. It's all part of a great picture. Uh, I was telling Father Mark, and, and actually uh, talking to Jeff, that I looked at the lyrics of that last hymn, and he and I did not talk about the hymns or coordinate anything. And yet that hymn was just about a reiteration of the sermon, the lyrics of that last hymn, in case you didn't notice. If you didn't notice, you probably were asleep in the sermon. And so, Anyway, we're going to talk today about the priest and the liturgy priest in the mass. And just and remember, we're talking about some things that St. John of Kronstadt said. This is not all-inclusive. These are only some of the things. And I want to step back for just a minute uh, and remind you that, that our understanding of, of this and our perception, and I've sort of touched on this already, uh, is, is critical. The earth, in the earthly temple, the temple in Jerusalem, which was a picture of this, it was believed by the people who took part in it that it was a participation in paradise, in heaven. It was paradise, heaven on earth. And so the psalmist singing in the temple could say, show me thy face, O Lord, manifest thy face. Uh, and, and the priest coming out and giving the blessing would say, the Lord be with the Lord be upon you. The Lord make his countenance to shine upon you, his face to shine upon you. And he stood there in the place of God in that place. Uh, and we heard one of the prayers that you did today on, on I think, on, on the <clears throat> one of those prayers at the end of the service for the blessings. It mentioned out of Zion, out of the temple. You see that terminology. So, uh, so those who served the temple knew that they were, understood that they were doing so in the actual presence of God in eternity. And we need to understand that too. Uh, this is what they perceived. This is what they perceived when they went there. I will go unto the altar of God, the psalm says, uh, which we take out during Passion Tide to give emphasis to the simplicity of it all as it gets our attention gets focused more and more narrowly and uh, down to the point, looking at bright light. By the way, just this is just an aside, but I had cataract surgery a few years back. And, and I asked that I have to know everything. I got to understand everything. You see? So I asked the doctor, tell me what, how does this work? Because he's shining these lights in my eyes and he says they're lasers. And I'm thinking, we're going to burn my eyes out. You know, so he said what it, the way it works. And if you've heard this before and you know about this, then forgive me. But he said you take, it's a process that the Israelis found, find, interestingly. And you take three different lights, lasers, and you shine them on the spot where you want to clear the cataract in the back. It's what was called a secondary cataract. And once there, there's, it's harmless until they unite. And the point where they unite is where they do their work. <laughs> See, so, uh, and, and that, that fascinated me because I thought, how come he's not burning my eyes up? And so, but he got the, that, that, that tissue out of there using that technique. Uh, so we're sort of like that in this journey. It's when we come together and there, there's this point at which all of this coalesces and Good Friday is the point, and then it explodes. Out. And for those of you who have never been through an Orthodox Holy Week and Paschal celebration, hold on to your hats. 
uh, it is one of the most awesome experiences in life. Uh, so anyway, those of you who are nodding your heads know because been there, done that. Uh, and really all of our liturgies should be that way and are, we just don't see it. So St. John said, you have to begin the service with the right attitude. He said, when you celebrate the divine service, think well before whom you stand, with whom you converse, to whom you sing, be holy in God, belong to him alone, pray with all your heart, sing with all your heart, celebrate for your neighbor as for yourself. Do you hear everything we've talked about so far in this? We have to begin with a correct understanding, ortho, ortho, like orthodox, correct worship, straight worship, straight uh, glory, correct glory. It's all of that come together. That's why we say orthodoxy. This is the culmination of the Christian journey. It's the culmination of the beginning of the Christian journey. So when you celebrate, we begin with the proper understanding, which is personal. That is, we go, we come here to encounter and do this to encounter God. It is universal. It is for all. Each of us stands here on behalf of everybody, all of creation, past, present, and future. It is individual. It's each of us, we can't, we can't pass off, well, y'all are going to be here, so I don't need to be here type thing. <laughs> I have my place and you have your place and we all have our place together. We have to do it. But we need to see the importance of our place and the importance of my place, both. And lastly, it's corporate. Again, ours. It's all of us together. The light shining from various places brings to a head and a focus the work of God. He said, do this. Remember this, think well before whom you stand, with whom you converse, to whom you sing. So, you know, it's so easy for us to come, just settle in and to think, you know, got to get out of here and got so much to do and it's enough to have to be here. Maybe I won't be here next week. And, you know, I was rereading some of the screw tape letters this morning, you know, C.S. Lewis pointing out that sometimes for us, we're more distracted we have the most magnificent event ever in human history occurring on the altar right in our presence and we're participating in it and we're more concerned with the clothing that somebody else has on or the dust on their shirts, you know, or they didn't clean their shoes properly or some such thing. There was a little piece of lint on the stone right in front of me up there this morning. Drove me nuts through the whole service <laughs> because I really wanted to move it. I really wanted to move it. And I didn't dare because I was up front and all you would be distracted by what I was doing. There was no way I could do it gracefully and get away with it. So I just had to sit there and endure and try to focus on Christ. And, Father, it is yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll tell you what, I get no respect. <laughs> Those of you who laughed gave your way your age. <laughs> Anyway, three things to do in preparing for the Eucharistic celebration, according to St. John of Kronstadt. He said, Remember, remembering that the Almighty is ever with us and by really allowing him to dwell in our hearts and minds and so casting away all worldly, worldly thoughts, doubts, cares, and attachments, we should always be able to accomplish God's work worthily, which means, and remember that he's always with us. You know, this, I've said this before, but this is so funny. We act as if God can disappear somehow. And that when we don't understand something and he doesn't seem to answer the way we want him to or when we want him to, that he's somehow not there. If God is everywhere and uncircumscribed, uncontained, where can he go? 
So if in the middle of this, we think that we don't things are going wrong and he doesn't seem to be present, where does the problem lie? It's in us, in our receptivity. We have to see that. So we've got to get that taken care of. He's always there. There's nowhere where he is not. He's always with us. When we come to this place, it doesn't matter. Before we get here, he's with us. We get up in the morning, he's with us. When we sleep during the night, he's with us. He's always there. And the problem lies in us. So we've got to work on that, the first thing. Remember that he's here and it's focused here because we're all together. Strive to allow, the second one, strive to allow him to dwell in our hearts and our minds. This is a process and it's a constant process, you know, especially if we're distracted by all the other things that are going on. But we have to allow him in. God is not going to force himself on us. He wants us to say, come to me, just like he said, come to me. Come to me. I'm yours. And we invite him in. And it's a process. I mean, I get so tired inviting God, you know, I just because I'm so distracted and and and. You know, I, I think pictorially. So if we, have a, if we have a conversation, every word that passes between us has a picture, sometimes three and four in many different meanings. And I'm sort of filtering through all of this stuff just like this. So you think, you don't think that that's not distracting? Because sometimes I get the wrong meaning for the words and off I go. You know, I, I, I was working these lessons. I was remembering a time once I was at the altar at St. Benedict's. And suddenly in the middle of the mass, I was chanting a part and I was looking at the, the musical notes. I think it was the Sursum Corda. The musical notes are there in the words. And here I was standing there in the proper posture, singing the words. And suddenly the thought came to my mind, do you realize that you are doing three things simultaneously? Now, I'm supposed to be saying the prayers in, in, to God, right? Do you realize that you're it's doing three things simultaneously? You are reading musical notes, which you generally don't know how to do. You are singing them, which you do so-so, and you are actually reciting the words, making them aloud. Uh, and I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. So here I am in the middle of the Sursum Corda, and that's where I am. But don't you know what I'm talking about? That's why some of you are laughing, because you know that's where we go. We hear a word or something, and off we go. Maybe we came here uh, in that frame of mind. You know, you get in the car in the morning, and you come to church, and, and if you're married, your spouse, and you have bad, have, have ill words to one another, and it's ruined. I have a few times I remember thinking as a priest, I shouldn't go in and say mass today because we had words. <laughs> and she's usually right, which means it's even harder for me to deal with. Uh, so, so, so in any case, or the kids misbehave, you know, and they're in the back, we yell at the kids. Or the drivers out there, the people, you know, I'm the only good driver in the world, my kids remind me. Uh, everybody else can't drive. So, and every one of those people who can't drive is in front of me on my way to church. So, so. You know about that, do you? <laughs> For some of us, it's God's will. Slow down. So in any case, we strive to allow him in, into our hearts and our minds. Uh, and it'd be one of the constant battles of our prayer time in, 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 in mass. Um, I think that's why the, the words for, for liturgy for an office in the church are, are words that mean the work of the people. Prayer is work. It is hard work. And when you're trying to focus and you understand that focus is part of the prayer discipline, then it really is. It's exhausting. We should leave here exhausted, exhausted when we're done. 
you know, we, we, we've been told in America that you should come to church and be rejuvenated and hyped up and hallelujah, glory to God, I'm going out there. We should be wasted from having poured ourselves into this because we will be, I'm telling you. That's why the clergy all do this. It's part of the ritual when you go home and you take the liturgical nap. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that was something we made up until I learned that a nun in a monastery in California also called it that because she took one too. Uh, so it's not uncommon. The liturgical nap, you, I guess you do take a liturgical nap. post-liturgical nap. Oh, okay, all right. So anyway, in my family, everybody knows, leave, leave dad alone. He's, he's participating in prayer. Uh, <laughs> and the last one is to strive to cast away all worldly thoughts, doubts, cares, and attachments. Leave those things at home or try to at least. And this is the battle we have to do. We strive to do that. He says we should breathe in, and this is, he doesn't say, use the words, but this basically means breathe in the prayers of the church. Let that just come into us. The words of the church's prayers read calmly and fervently with faith, reverence, and the fear of God have undoubtedly the wonderful property of enlivening, strengthening, and healing our bodies as well as our souls. Those prayers transform us. So when I say breathe in, even though he doesn't use that terminology, you get the image. If, if, we, if we try to allow it in, it's like, suck it up. Just draw it in. Come here and just let, you'd be surprised if we can willfully shut everything down for a few minutes and just allow this to begin to affect us. It will. And we see all kinds of things going on. There's so much going on up there when we come here that we can see and experience, and it's a little bit of time, and you never master it, so there's always something new. That's the exciting part about it. There's always something more. Uh, and so even after all these years, I'm just now beginning to fathom what's going on up there, just now. Uh, and what I think I had my conversion experience 50 years ago. 50, <laughs> where'd that go? And so all this time I've been going to churches and experiencing this, and I'm only now catching on, uh, and just barely. So, so we breathe in the prayers of the church. Pray with conviction. We saw the last time boldly, and I think your comments at the end were perfect for that. Pray with conviction that these prayers make a difference, that what we do here makes a difference. Our words give temporal substance to God's grace in this place when we're together, in our own hearts when we turn ourselves over to God. When we set out to do the things we're supposed to do as Christians, we give temporal, physical substance to the reality that God wants to convey. Talking about being a witness, we don't have to stand out on a street corner and say, Jesus is Lord. We have to live that. That's more of a witness. Much more of a witness. We don't realize that. In fact, if, if we don't do that, then when we do stand out on the street corner, very often, what we are doing is epitomizing hypocrisy. Uh, and we don't want to do that. Don't, we, we don't want the world to have a false image of what Christianity really is. Now, I'm not disparaging going out on the street corners. Please don't hear me. That. I'm just saying we can get it wrong. And we want to make sure we see correctly and that we function as correctly as possible. It may be that God puts us out there to say something to somebody at some point in time. We have to be real careful. He says, attempt to pray the divine services worthily. The worthy celebration of the divine liturgy of the Holy Eucharist requires a man with a soul lifted up to the things of God. 
not bound by worldly passions, by worldly desires, and by attachments to worldly delights. So <clears throat> coming with a purpose to do this, and really, if not lifted, man with soul lifted up to the things of God, I would say not neglecting, not being late, not just straggling in. And for those of you who are in this parish, I, I noticed that being late to liturgy is not a common trait among people of the Western Rite, and, you, and we should be grateful. It does seem to be a, a, a characteristic of people in the Eastern Rite. Now, I have a hypothesis for this. I think it partly has to do with the fact that they run matins and mass together, and you never know where one ends and one begins. So it's hard to know when to show up. Uh, but, but in any case, in the, in, the, in the Latin tradition, we are more compulsive. We're militarily organized. We're more compulsive. You, you, there's a starting time, and by God, you show up for the starting time. <laughs> just the way it is. And so we're all on time for mass. Uh, and that's just the way, you know, that's just the way our, our right is. But in any case, we don't want to be straggling in. And when we do, we want to take, and I'm sort of stepping aside here, but we want to make sure that we don't straggle in at the, in a way that distracts everybody. So if you come late and he's in his sermon, you don't walk in and go up to the front pew and sit down. Because what happens? Everybody turns and looks at me or whoever it is is coming in, and the sermon is over for all practical purposes. There's a dynamic in a sermon. It's the eye contact between the, the preacher and the people. And once that's broken, it's over. No matter what happens, it's over. It's over for all of us. Our focus is broken. Our contact is broken. It's all over. I've had it a few times. I had a church where the door was on the side. So it was almost unavoidable if anybody came in during the sermon. And a couple of times I was really tempted to say, you know, I think we just stop the sermon right here. Since it's, you know, listening anyway. And, and I can't remember what I was going to say. So even with notes in front of me. So in any case, we don't want to just straggle in. And we put a lot of hymns in the Western Rite. So actually, the hymn singing when people are standing or when people sit or stand or move around is a good time to come in. Slip in at those times uh, or if you have to leave. Now, sometimes, you know, when you've got kids, they just make it necessary to get up and walk out right in the middle of the highlights of liturgy. You can't help that. That's just the way it goes. But we can help a lot of it. Uh, and in, in, do, in so doing, we are showing the world that this is something worthy of our attention and that our souls are lifted up to the things of God and to the involvement of everybody else to the things of God. We need to remember that in the divine liturgy, God uses you and me as instruments to change bread and wine into his body and blood, do that work that he has. We need to remember in these celebrations the following. The whole church, as I've already said, in heaven on earth is together in Christ working this thing. Eternity will have penetra penetrated temporality and, and something we have to see. This is not just an action in time. Eternity is penetrating. That's what I like about Holy Week. You begin to get sucked into eternity. It's just like this week just draws us into it. Uh, and, and when it's over, there's a one gets so inured maybe to the, to the tempo of Holy Week that when it's over, uh, it's almost a disappointment. I think that's one of the reasons why the Sunday after the Paschal Octave, the, la the Sunday low, it's called Low Sunday, uh, because there was such a disappointment and the ritual went back to normal and with a little bit of elevation to it. And it was such a disappointment after all the excitement of Holy Week. Uh, even the monastic tradition in the West 
simplified matins for a week to give everybody a break. Uh, but it just drew, it drew us back to something greater and we, we experienced eternity. Uh, and the prayers of the faithful departed are especially important. They, they really remind us that it is all of us, all of us, and it's beyond just you and me in this world. Prayer, personal prayers of thanksgiving are to be offered at the end of any service, St. John says. After having worthily celebrated a sacrament or any other service, always remember to thank the Lord from your whole heart by a short prayer for having found you worthy of serving him, of serving his will and his works with faith and love. So we should give thanks to God for this privilege in doing what we do. Uh, in other words, it's attitude followed by action. That is, we have a different attitude from that of the world and we act on it. That's what St. John is telling us. Now, these things, as I mentioned, are not at all inclusive of, of, of what's to be understood here, but they're a part of what, that which St. John sees as being important. Uh, and the next time, having said that, uh, we will look at the priest in temptation because the devil does not want us to find this truth and act on it. Anyway, questions, we have time, so I finished early. Sunday school teachers are not going to like me. Let me, uh, let me offer a little bit of uh, comfort, something you may notice within yourselves. Um, and Father alluded to this, but the priests are no different than the priests and the liturgy in our experience. I'll be standing at the altar, and you tell me if you attest to the same thing. You, you did a little bit. I will blank out at times. I'll get distracted by something in my mind and I'll realize even though you've been hearing my voice say something for the last moment or two, I lost it. It happens to us all. But that's okay as long as this happens as well. If I have locked into my communion with God in prayer, even for a part of the liturgy, all is well. I want you to, it's not that we don't want to always be very intentional about our offering. That's what St. John's getting at, intentional. How can we present our whole selves to God if it's not an intentional movement, right? An intentional act. We want to grow in that. But even if we've locked into that for a portion of the liturgy and our Lord has revealed himself to us, we fellowship with him in just a portion we've done, we've made our offering. I don't want you to go away discouraged because you get distracted. Just notice when you get distracted and push through and come back to it, our Lord will help us do that. But what he's really, I can't tell you how many, every mass is different for me. Just like every Holy Week is different for me. Every, every Lent is different for me. Every mass is different for me at a point in the mass in which God may show himself to me in some way that I need to see. And it won't be through the entire Mass. You get the point? We do want to guard against distractions. And when we discipline ourselves, when we find the distractions and move back to Him, that's what He's after. Mm -hmm. That's precisely what He's after in this living thing that we call the Mass, this staged fellowship with God, right? Mm -hmm. But we get it. I love how St. John is talking about these things and Father's bringing it to the table. This is for every one of us, priesthood of all believers. And we need to lock into that. Don't be discouraged by the distractions. Just get back to it. And if only a portion of the Mass, you've experienced our Lord. Thank God 
this is his desire. Does that make sense? Now, questions and thoughts. Let me, let me just add something. You triggered some memory from my youth. When I was a kid, we lived in South Carolina for a few years and we're on the coast. Uh, and as a roughly a 10 or 11, 12 year old, I guess, we used to like to go out and, and go out into the surf and do what we called surf jumping. So if you go out just to where the waves start to break, uh, and if you time it just perfectly, right before the wave breaks, the water will just lift you up as you push your, off the ground, just lift you up and you'll just float right over the top. It's more an exhilarating experience. If you don't time it right, the wave will break and down you go. And if the undertow is strong, it's frightening because what you do is you go down like this and the undertow grabs you and pulls you out and you, can't, you cannot resist the undertow. Uh, and you never know, and sometimes the water doesn't look that sharp and the, or that strong and the waves don't and the undertow is real strong. So one of the things we learned very quickly was when we went down, we were only a few inches above the bottom. So uh, if we went down like that and got hit by the wave and went down, first thing to do is find the bottom, get your feet on it and push up. Do not panic. Push up. You'll come out of the top. Now, you may get hit by the next wave breaking, but but at least you're coming up and you do the same thing over again. Find the bottom. Don't panic. Find the bottom and come back up. And I've always thought that's typical of the spiritual life. You know, we, 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 we get out of focus. We think, oh, I can't focus on this stuff. God, what's happening? We get all, you know, we get all flustered. Then we don't do our duty. Just find the ground, find the bottom, push up. That's what we do. Uh, and we'll do it again and again and again and again and again. This too is part of the spiritual life. St. John would tell us that. So anyway, enough said. What else? All right, well. The only thing I'd like to say is yes. uh, when I don't let you back in during the sermon, don't be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing his duty. That's right. Exactly. Well, see, you have the luxury of saying, Father told me. <laughs> Blame it on him. And my husband used to be the head doorkeeper. Okay. And my husband had a military background. And my husband could give commands like you never heard of. <laughs> Isn't that right, Father? Absolutely. And I can tell husband <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and my husband put down a lot of rules and guidelines that they're still following today, Christ God. And, uh, you know, it, it is distracting. And he didn't want that to happen. And Father didn't want it to happen. And so, you know, it, it's the... Uh, the times and the and the things that the ushers, the doorkeepers attend to, uh, they're not being mean. They're just doing their job yeah. and following through. And and it's, uh, you know when you fall down, you got to stand up. Yeah. You know we have another thing in America. Well, I like to use the term American Christianity because there's a certain demeanor that gets passed around to Christians in America. But one of them is anytime someone tells you no, you take offense at it. You know and uh, I'm reminded of a scene in a movie. Sorry, I like war movies, but uh, uh, I'm reminded of a scene in, in, in the movie Hamburger Hill when the soldiers are trying to make sense of the Vietnam War, and one of them says, it don't mean nothing. Uh, and the bad grammar outside, I've used that in the spiritual life. We take offense at things, and it don't mean nothing. Uh, and we make a big deal out of it. I think the devil's at work. You know, oh, you see, he offended you. You can't go back to that church. You know, the priest... 
quit preaching and gone to meddling. Uh, uh, you know, or he, 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 his hair is too perfect, or he wears his cassock the wrong way, or his shoes were untied, or some such thing. I can't go back there. Uh, and all those people, we all know all the people in this church are hypocrites. Yeah, we are, starting with the priests. So, so it don't mean nothing. We're not going to find the perfect parish. Uh, there isn't one. Everyone, I, I tell you, I've been around a lot of parishes, and every one of them's got their, 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 their people, <laughs> you know, with a whole gamut of mistakes. And the clergy started. The clergy are the examples. We have issues. We all have issues. That's why we're here. We're sick people, and we're here in the hospital to get healed. And, we, and we're not just here. We have to engage in the treatment. And what we're talking about is engaging in the treatment. But, you know, oh, I just want to have a place that makes me feel good. But, well, sorry. It's like the definition of the best sermon. It's the one that flies over your shoulder and hits your neighbor in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a, I used to like to put cartoons in my Sunday programs, and there's one I loved, and show, it showed this woman going out the door of a church. She said, Father, that was a great sermon. He had something in there for everybody I know. Uh, <laughs> so... Just to the point. Anyway, next time, Priest in Temptation. Thank you.